0: Praise the Lord. we we'll look to the Word of God today. Trust the Lord to minister to our hearts, minister to our families this morning. I want to begin. Noah built an ark with Hebrews 11 and verse 7. I hope to repeat this verse a number of times in the message. Maybe you can have it memorized by the time we're through today. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, Moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. By the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. There's a righteousness which is by faith. Noah brought salvation to his family. He was a man that was righteous by faith. There is a righteousness of God. And I want to strike that as we begin today. The Bible says there is none righteous, no not one. Not one of us have righteousness of our own, but there is one who becomes righteousness to us when we put faith in the living God, and that is Jesus Christ. The Bible says he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There is a righteousness of God which comes by faith. Noah was righteous by faith because he put his trust in the Savior. He put his trust in Jesus Christ. His sacrifice, which was to come. Now the Amplified says, By faith, with confidence in God and His word, Noah, being warned by God about events not yet seen. Events not yet seen. In reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of His family. By this act of obedience, He condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which comes by faith. Noah moved with fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his family. I want to ask this morning, is there anything more precious to us than the salvation of our sons and daughters and our family, our home? Is there anything more important to us than the saving of our family? Noah was moved with fear. Noah saw things not seen to the natural eye. And he brought salvation to his family, and God wants to help us this morning to bring salvation to our family, to our husband, wife, our sons, and our daughters. In Matthew 24, verse 38 to 42, Jesus said, But of that day and hour, no one knows. That is the day when Christ returns, the end of the world, judgment day, the day of the Lord, the day of Christ, known by many terms. Jesus said, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. The world did not know. They did not have spiritual understanding. They did not have the knowledge of God. They did not discern the signs of the times. They had no understanding of what was coming, judgment day, the end of the world, accountability before God. It says they did not know. Why? Because they'd rejected the word and the knowledge of God in that primeval world. They did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken in judgment and the other left, like Noah, to inherit the earth, for the meek shall inherit the earth. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken in judgment and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming." The Bible teaches the coming of Christ and the end of the present world order. The Bible predicts judgment day when every person will stand before God, either at death but at that great day of the Lord. The Bible says that Noah could see things that other people could not see. Divinely warned of God, he moved with fear, he saw things That other people could not see he could see in the spiritual realm he saw the Word of God he saw by faith he saw by the eye of the Spirit the reason people don't prepare is because they can't see the world isn't preparing for judgment day because it can't see it doesn't understand it's put away the knowledge of the Lord there are no threatening clouds of judgment on the horizon as far as they can see No rain in the forecast, as far as they know. No imminent threat of judgment. They can't see. But God has opened our eyes and Jesus said, Blessed are your eyes for they see. We can see spiritual realities. We see beyond the physical. We see beyond this world. The world is going along. It's a little nervous and maybe a little more nervous than it's ever been in its history. But The world props itself up. Safety in numbers. We're all together in this. And so they go on, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, on with the normal habits and normal routines of life. But the Bible says the day will come, as in the day of Noah, so in the coming of the Son of Man, in one day judgment will come, the end of the world, and the flood will take them all away. Moses had, or Noah had sight, and we must have sight. We must see in the Spirit today, to see the spiritual realities, to see the Word of God, to see the end of the world, and to know that we must make preparation for ourselves and for our families. The Bible says that the flood took them all away. There was a day that Noah entered the ark. And the Bible says in Genesis 7:1 that the Lord shut him in. Moses didn't shut the door. Noah didn't shut the door. Noah didn't shut the door. God shut the door. And when God shuts a door, no man can open it. No man can open it. The culture of that time was a culture that had pushed away the preaching of Noah and the word of God. 2 Peter 2.5 says these words that God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Now this event, the flood, came into being only some 1,500 years after the creation, after Adam and Eve. And in 1,500 years, the world crowd had dismissed and forgotten the knowledge of the Lord. They no longer had any affinity or any desire for to talk about sin, atonement, judgment, accountability before God. They were busy in their own way. In the extended lifespan of man before the flood, man living seven, eight, nine hundred 900 years, the knowledge of God was in the earth just as it is today. Adam lived 800 years approximately. Other righteous men and women lived hundreds and hundreds of years. The knowledge of God was in the land. The preaching of the gospel was in the land. But the world crowd had no more appeal to it. They had no draw to it. The man who lived the longest, Methuselah, 969 years. He was the final patriarch and prophet of God to that generation. And he died in the year of the flood. He died in the year of the flood. And with him and before him, all other righteous men and women. The world had gone secular, and the Christian crowd had become casual. And in the day of the flood, in the day of judgment, there was only one righteous family left in the earth. In those days before the flood, one righteous family. It's hard to believe One man and his wife, three sons and their wives, and they stood for God. I wonder as we look at this account today, would we still be standing as a family if we were the only family still standing for God? Would we hold out in faith? Would we hold out in the promise of God? Would we hold out in spiritual belief? Would we still be coming to church? if our family was the only family coming to church? Would we be coming to the prayer service if our family was the only family that came to the prayer service? The Bible says only one family was saved in the days before the flood. I think of the three Hebrew sons, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, standing before the statue of Babylon and the King's decree was that everyone would bow to the spirit of the age and bow to the world and bow to the culture. And three young men stood and said, we will not bow. Now, they were not the only three Jews that had come out of the land into captivity, out of the land of Judah. There were scores. There may have been hundreds of young men with them, brought by the king of Babylon out of Judah into that Babylonish society. Only three never bowed. The others bowed and gave their allegiance to the world's system and the world's ways. Noah and his family. God saved one family out of the earth. And what a powerful testimony it is to us. The Bible says again, Hebrews eleven seven: by faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not yet seen, moved with fear and prepared an ark to save his family. He moved with fear. There are two kinds of fear. There is good fear and there is bad fear. Good fear is the fear of the Lord. Good fear is the fear of judgment day. Good fear is the fear of hell because there is a heaven and a hell and there's an eternal consequence for every person, the Bible says. Jesus said in Luke 12, 5, he said, do not be afraid. Do not fear those who can kill the body But after that, have nothing more that they can do. But he said, I'll tell you who to fear. Fear Him, capital H. Fear God, who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Jesus said, I say to you, fear Him. Fear Him. Noah prepared an ark for the saving of his family. And the Lord is calling us by this man's example to also save our family, to prepare, to build, to move with fear, to see things that are not seen, to look into the spiritual realms and know how we must conduct our life. A minister friend of mine told her teenage daughter one day, she said, if I preach the gospel and the whole world comes to Jesus, but I lose you, it will break my heart. It will break my heart. There's nothing more precious to us than the saving of our family. And so we must build, we must prepare as Noah did, because Noah built an ark. Noah prepared for the saving of his family. And he was very meticulous and he was very thorough in how he built his life and built into the future. Now, what does it take to build an ark? What does it take to build an ark? Number one, it takes a confession of faith in Christ. It takes a confession of faith in Christ. How do we come into refuge? How do we come into the saving powers of God to deliver us from sin, the world, and judgment to come, from hell to come? It takes a confession of faith in Christ. He, first and foremost, is the ark of salvation. Faith is forsaking all i take him faith is a decision to accept christ to abandon everything jesus said if you do not forsake all that you have you cannot be my disciple this decision is thorough it goes right through us it's final it goes into eternity it includes the place of our death and burial that we serve the lord it takes a confession of faith in christ to build an ark There is salvation in no other, the Bible says. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. No other name. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. There is an ark prepared on the divine side by God himself And that is God himself the ark that we build the ark that we enter into for our salvation is the eternal God you think about the ark it had three stories the first floor was the foundation it represents the father the second story had the door Jesus said I am the door and the way to get into the ark there's only one way in you have to come through the door Jesus said, I am the door. And so we walk up the ramp called God's grace and we enter the salvation and the refuge of the Lord. The third story had a window all around the top of it, the perimeter. It speaks of the Holy Spirit, the one who gives light, the one who gives revelation, the one who gives illumination to us. To build an ark means that we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, put our trust in him fully. Noah, the Bible says, condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness of God. He condemned the world by his conduct, by his decision. He said, the world, I give it a verdict. It's ungodly, it's immoral, it's anti-Christ. That world is under judgment. This world deserves the judgments of God against sin. But he said, I'm going to take on the righteousness of God. He condemned the world and received the righteousness which is of God by faith. Noah overcame the world. He overcame the world. He stepped out of the judgment. He stepped out of the ungodliness. He stepped out of its death and destruction and end in eternal hell. He stepped out because he stepped into the ark that God had provided the salvation of the Lord first John chapter 5 verse 4 says for whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith our faith that's how we overcome the world its judgment its sin its immorality its ungodliness who is he that overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. How many are thankful you've got your faith and belief in Jesus Christ because we overcome the world? Verse 12 of the same chapter, he who has the Son has Zoe, the God life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know... That you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe, even believe more strongly in the name of the Son of God. He who, as the Son of God, has life. Who is he that overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus Christ is the only answer. There's no other answer to the sin. There's no other answer to the judgment. There's one deliverer, one savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. What does it take to build an ark? It takes a confession of faith in Jesus Christ where we forsake all, give our lives to him, and follow him the rest of our lives and on into eternity. Number two today, what does it take to build an ark? It takes determined spiritual effort. There's a divine side and there's a believer's side. It takes determined spiritual effort. I'm here to encourage your hearts today to continue on in the good things of God. Noah labored, Noah built. NOAH PREPARED, AND IT WAS NOT AN EASY TASK. HE LABORED ON AN ARK THAT WAS monstrous IN SIZE. IT WAS NO LITTLE TASK. IT WAS NO LITTLE WORK THAT NOAH WAS CALLED TO, AND OUR WORK IS NOT LITTLE EITHER. THE DEVELOPMENT OF OUR SPIRITUAL LIFE, AN ARK OF SAFETY FOR OUR FAMILY, TAKES A LOT OF DILIGENCE. And a lot of work. See, Noah builded. God gave him the blueprints. But he had to build. God gives us the blueprints. They're right here in the word of God. But we must prepare. We are the ones that must build. And when you think what Noah and his sons were called to build, an ark 450 feet long, that's three times the length of this sanctuary. Twice the length of this Entire building from north to south. 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. Like the ceiling in this building. Three stories. What a labor. What a cost. What a diligence was required of him. Say, wow, it sounds like a lot of work. The reason many people don't build is because it takes a lot of work and it takes labor to build our lives properly as a for the ark of the lord for the ark of safety god does his part and we must then respond in spiritual manner and spiritual likeness to the lord and seek heart after god i want to turn aside to another image in first corinthians 3 verse 10 to 11 the building project jesus christ is the rock of our salvation The Bible says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one, each one take heed. There's a warning in it. Let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul said there's only one foundation, there's only one salvation stone, that is Jesus Christ the Lord and faith in Him. But he said, on that foundation, let every person take heed how he builds, what kind of a life we build, what kind of a house we build. The wise man built his house upon the rock, and we must build with God, we must labor with God. You think about Noah and the project that was before him, that monstrous ark, and he was called to labor according to divine blueprints. What a call on his life, upon his family to labor in the earth, timber after timber, axes and saws and chisels and planes and hammers, carving out the doctrines of the Lord for his life shaping out the ways of holiness and righteousness and how to walk with God in the earth and how to live. He was shaping the ark, and when that ark, three stories, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high, once it was completed, his family, and he had to seal the inside and outside with pitch. The entire ark sealed with pitch. This call of God on our lives to labor for an ark of saving for our family is a call to diligence. It's a call to meticulousness. It's a call to exactness. We must build according to divine measurements. And the world was unconcerned. Noah labored while the world looked on. Noah labored while the world slept in on Sunday mornings. Continued on with their partying and sports and all the things of life, and Noah was laboring for an ark of salvation for his family and for his house so he could save his family. How critical it was for him to save his family. Pouring out his life, he'd have meetings at the ark. The ark church was there, Noah was preaching righteousness. He was preaching salvation. He was preaching the coming of the Lord. He was preaching judgment day. He was preaching cleansing from sin and atonement for the people, that they could have a new life, the divine life of God, if they repent of their sins and call on the Lord, that they would receive his mercy. Noah was preaching every Sunday. He was there with his family. He was calling people to, inviting people to church. He was there for the Sunday School the Christian Ed he had prayer services at the Ark calling on the name of the Lord building seeking to save his family the Bible says that we must save ourselves God saves us and we save ourselves we're labors together with God and I want to look at Acts chapter 2 today Acts chapter 2 today the Apostle Peter said in verse 40, let's look at the second scripture first. He said, With many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse, crooked, twisted generation. The words of the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost be saved, or King James says, Save yourselves from this wicked generation. He said, I thought only God could save me. No, the Bible says, Save yourselves. There's a saving of God, and there's a saving that we must get involved with like Noah, where we build an ark to the saving of our family. Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers now let's go back to verse 36 therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ now when they heard this they were cut to the heart when they realized they crucified the Savior of the world they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles men and brethren what shall we do then Peter said to them repent Turn your life around, give up your old way of life, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission, the loosing, the release from your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, the Gentiles, as many as the Lord our God will call. Repent, be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. That's the work of God. Those first three are a gift of God, the gift of repentance, the washing of baptism, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says there are three that agree in the earth, three witnesses of God that he's given in the earth, the blood, the water, and the oil. The blood of repentance, the water of baptism, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's the work of God. But then again, verse 40, with many other words, he testified. He said, save yourselves from this crooked generation, this ungodly generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly. This is how they saved themselves. Save yourselves from this twisted generation. How? They continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine Fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. That's where the saving powers came into their life. That's how they saved their families. That's how they saved their life, even though they had the salvation of God from sin in Jesus Christ. Philippians 2, 12 to 13 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more... But now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The Apostle Paul agrees with the Apostle Peter. He says, work out your salvation with fear, your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. He said, God is working in you, but he says, you need to work out this salvation There's an inward working of God, but we respond and we work out our salvation. And yes, it's a work. We must get involved. By faith, Noah, being warned of God concerning things that were not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his family and condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness of God. God saved Noah, and then Noah had to build an ark according to the instructions and the blueprints of God. Now this morning, I want to speak really quickly, just touch on these four saving powers. Save yourselves from this twisted generation. Four saving powers by which we save ourselves, by which we build an ark. And number one is the Apostles' Doctrine. The Apostles' Doctrine is the public teaching and preaching of the Word of God. The Apostles' Doctrine... Where we come to the house of the Lord as we are this morning and we come to the weekly corporate gatherings and we sit under the counsel and the instruction of the word of the Lord and it ministers to our lives and it teaches us and trains us and it keeps us up to date in our relationship with God. It keeps us sharp because the word of God is sharp and living and powerful. We must save ourselves by coming under the doctrines of the Lord in the house of God. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 to 3. Shall come to pass in the last days, Isaiah said, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, the highest place, new covenant days. The highest place in the earth is the house of the Lord, the mountain of God. All nations shall flow to it. All nations coming to the presence of the Lord and salvation of Christ. Many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Many people shall say, come on, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord. Let's go to the house of God. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet will stand within your gates, Jerusalem. We're so excited to be in the house of the Lord. The Bible says that God will teach us his ways. And we will walk in his paths. He'll teach us his principles. He'll teach us about worship. He'll teach us about finances. He'll teach us about relationships. He'll teach us the great doctrines of redemption and sanctification. The Lord will teach us of his ways and we'll walk in his paths. For out of Zion, the presence of God shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from the new Jerusalem, which we're a part of now. We need the apostles' doctrine. Number two is fellowship. Fellowship is unity. It's loyalty. It's the communion of the saints. It's the corporate gathering. Save yourselves from this wicked generation. How? Be involved. They continued steadfastly, it says, in these four saving powers. Not sporadically, not half heartedly. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. The Bible says in Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day, the day of Christ, the day of judgment, the day of the Lord approaching, not forsaking the assemblings, As the manner of some is but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching there should be a greater draw to the house of the Lord in these last days than ever before because the day is approaching and yet many today are forsaking the assembling in direct disobedience and contradiction to the word of the Lord the Lord's warning he says this is a saving power stay in the house of God stay close among the people of the Lord One of the most dangerous things any believer can do, one of the most dangerous things any family can do, is begin to play loose with the house of God. Because it doesn't just touch one generation, it goes down into the generations. The Bible says it's a saving power. Number three, breaking of bread. They continued steadfastly in breaking of bread. Breaking of bread is the communion service, the table of the Lord the bread and wine of the communion service. Acts 20, verse 7 says, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, on the first day of the week, Sunday, when the disciples came together to break bread, the disciples in the book of Acts, the Christians came together on Sunday, and every Sunday they broke bread, and they took wine, they took communion in the presence of the Lord. Now, I dealt with this in my own spirit as a pastor some 25 or 30 years ago. And I knew by the Spirit of God that the Lord wanted the bread and wine in the house of the Lord every Sunday on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. And so we made a decision. We tried to have communion more often every Sunday in some manner or way. But it seems impractical in that sense. And so we continue the pattern of one corporate communion service per month where we partake as a congregation. But we made a decision that we would have the communion table available every Sunday for the people of God that wanted to partake of it. And since that time in our prayer room, including in this facility in the prayer room, the Forsyth Hall, the bread and wine is on the table every Sunday for those who want to come and take the bread and drink the wine and renew their covenant with God. There's not a week that goes by in my life where I don't stand at that communion table on a Sunday morning and partake of the bread and wine and judge myself by the word because the Bible says if we judge ourselves, we will not be judged of the Lord. I judge my heart. I judge my attitudes. I judge my motives. I judge my manner of life at the table of the Lord. I renew covenant with God. I call on the power of the blood. I receive the healing of the bread for my body, and I receive the cleansing of the blood of Christ for my spirit and my life, so I can walk on cleansed and renewed on a weekly basis in the presence of the Lord. Well, I like to take communion more than once a week, and sometimes I do. I haven't come to the standard of Smith Wigglesworth yet. He took communion every day. He took communion every day so his heart would stay on fire and be alive in the work of God and the Remembrance of the cross and the crucified life and how we should live they continued steadfastly in the breaking of bread So I invite you any given Sunday morning Sunday evening in the pre-service prayer time You can stand at the table you can take the bread and the wine with yourself your wife your family and minister before the Lord It's a saving power in our life the table of the Lord arrests spiritual drift any attitudes any sin any worldliness that's getting into our heart, when we stand at the table, we must judge ourselves so that we're not judged of the Lord and we cleanse our hearts and we walk in righteousness before God. Number four, prayers. Prayers. They continued steadfastly in prayers. Prayers, of course, includes worship. Worship warfare. Prophetic prayers. Calling out on the name of the Lord. The Bible says, lift up your hands for the life of your children. Lamentations 2.19, travailing prayers, intercession. They continued steadfastly in prayers. This is a saving power for all of us. Not generic prayers alone, not prayers that are of a request level but birthing level prayers where we get down and we begin to pray and we even add some fasting prayers into our life and we call on the intercessions of God to minister to our family and raise up our sons and daughters to serve the Lord with all their heart. The Bible says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. The effectual, the spirit-inspired A person so in tune with the Holy Spirit that they're prophesying the word of the Lord. They're praying the mind of God over their children. They're pleading the promises of God. The effectual, fervent, red hot, the Bible says, prayers. We light up our spirit. We get the zeal of God involved with our hearts. We begin to burn with fire in our prayers. The Bible says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. Psalm 27 and 4, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, worship, and to inquire, to pray, to receive instruction in his temple. These four delivering powers, my, what saving powers there are, That God has given us what delivering powers God has given us these four apostles doctrine fellowship breaking of bread and prayers we can build an ark to the saving of our family we can build a place of refuge and safety for our family Noah did that and by the grace of God he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is by faith Well, let's close it out with 2 Peter chapter 3. The message of Noah throughout the whole Bible. 2 Peter 3, 6 says, By which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God with excitement in your spirit because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for heavens, a new heavens, and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Noah and his family lifted up because of the ark were spared the judgments of God upon sin and ungodliness, and they transitioned into a new world which speaks of the new world which we will be transitioned into, the new heavens and earth forever. For the meek shall inherit the earth. I close with Genesis 7 and verse 1. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house, all thy family, into the ark, for thee have i seen righteous before me in this generation come into the ark you and your family noah because i have seen you righteous a father a mother that is honored by god and god says you have prepared an ark i've seen you righteous you've got the righteousness of god in your life but you also have worked out righteousness in saving powers there's a work of God within and there's a work of God that we must do without we're righteous by faith and we're the Bible says made righteous by works not works for salvation but holy works based upon our salvation the Bible says we are justified by faith just as if I'd never sinned. We're justified by faith because we receive the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. But it also says that we must be justified by works, by our labors in the gospel, by our labors to build a strong spiritual life. What a beautiful word. What a promise of God. Noah, you come into the ark and you bring your sons and daughters-in-law because I've seen you righteous in the earth. And I trust this morning that every one of us will build according to divine purpose and divine blueprints. And I invite you to stand at this time, and let's call upon the name of the Lord. Let's call upon the name of the Lord for our families, for our sons and daughters. If there's someone here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, as I've already said in this message, the Bible says there's salvation in no other. There's no other religion. There's no other philosophy. There's no other way of life that leads to eternal life in heaven but Jesus Christ and him alone. If you want to accept Christ this morning, please make your way down to the front of the sanctuary. We want to pray with you. Pray a prayer of salvation any other needs that are here this morning. If you want prayer for any other need of your life or your family, please slip out from where you are. People will be here to pray for you and believe God for your situation. But as we close out this morning, let's work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Let's take on these saving powers and build an ark to the saving of our families like Noah did. Let's lift our hands and call on the name of the Lord this morning.